today, I am going to shift once again away from First um, Timothy for a week. Um, I want to share with you a word that the Lord uh, has impressed upon my heart. And um, last weekend we were at a conference. Um, my wife and I and, and Michael and Ashley and, and Jake and Krista Schabel, um, the, the six of us went um, down to Nashville. And I have to tell you, I, I, I am not the same person that um, left on Wednesday night. And um, I felt impressed to that the word that the Lord spoke to my heart was for this entire body. We are now in year seven. The Lord makes a big deal about seven, the number seven in, in his word. Uh, I don't want to get overly, um, uh, go overboard on, on that particular thing, but it is something to be recognized. And church ministry studies do point to a, a seven-year period for ministries to mature. And uh, we, we celebrated that seventh birthday two weeks ago. And so I, I, I weigh those things uh, up against God's word. And, um, and then I also look at what God is doing in our midst uh, experiencing God uh, is a study that we do. Henry Blackaby uh, in Experiencing God says, well, find out what God's already doing and then just go join him. And, and that's, a, that's a great way to consider uh, ministry because then it's on him and not on you. It's on his power, not on your power. And um, experiencing God is a... is a... is not a doing thing. It's a being thing. And, and as believers, as Christians, uh, especially here at Mill City Church, uh, my, my daughter-in-law, Ashley, really convicted me um, this weekend. We were having a, a kind of a debrief, and she's like, you know, our church slogan, if you will, is a church that works is a church that works. We are doers here. We do stuff not for ourselves, we do stuff for the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can become doers of God's work and not beers in his presence. And um, <clears throat> there are there are opportunities that the Lord will give us. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, if you're new to Mill City, this is not necessarily our typical teaching sermon on Sundays. Um, but you're here, so you might as well receive. Because <clears throat> I think this is a message for all of us, for everyone. If you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this would be a great day for you to make that decision. If you are, the Bible says that we are to go from glory to glory to glory. But a lot of Christians don't live that way. We all go from battle to battle to battle because that's in this life you will have trouble. Jesus said that. But a lot of Christians go from defeat to defeat to defeat to defeat. They don't go from glory to glory. But that's not God's plan. I'm going to speak to you th this morning out of the book of Exodus. And what I like about the book, the Old Testament, which the Old Testament is really awesome. Uh, it, there's just such great value there. But one of the greatest things about the Old Testament is churches today don't fight over the Old Testament. We fight over the New Testament stuff. 
healing or no healing, and tongues or no tongues, or baptism or no baptism, and you know, all the stuff that doesn't matter, you know, we choose to fight over. But when it comes to the Old Testament stuff, we're like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> it's sad, but true. Nobody argues over Moses. Nobody argues over the 40-year period. Nobody argues over the parting of the Red Sea. Some argue over creation in six days. We don't argue here, but there are some great parallels to Christianity in the Old Testament. This is one of them. Uh, Exodus chapter 32 is a, uh, is a transition and, and Moses is up on Mount Sinai. Uh, he's been given, this is his first trip there. This is his first opportunity for the Lord to, to give the law. And this is year one of the 40-year period of time. So they're fresh out of captivity after centuries of slavery and captivity in Egypt they're, they're fresh out. And it, it's really a good parallel to Christianity, that in itself, because if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too have been delivered from the captivity and slavery to sin. It's a spiritual truth. And so in the same way that the Israelites are now trying to deal with their new freedom, they have problems just like we have problems. And it comes right out of the gates. Look at it, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, who was their visible leader at the time, their substitute teacher at the time. And they said, Come make us gods who would go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us out of Egypt... We don't know what's happened to him. Now, some parallels that we can pull out of this right out of the gates are some, some versions say that when the people saw that Moses was delaying. Some scholars believe that, that he was gone for, for as long as six weeks. Now, that may seem, and certainly at the time, clearly it seemed like a long time. But this was in the first year of a 40-year journey. He's gone for six weeks, and they just can't seem to get their minds around it. Six weeks. He's gone for six weeks. I know we've been in slavery for centuries, but he's been gone for six weeks. As a Christian, we all have needs. We all have needs. And, and, you know, we've been delivered, we've been freed, and, and, and God did this miraculous thing in our life. And since he did that, then he should be willing to do everything else that we need him to do, oh, by the way, in the time that we need him to do it, don't we? He should be on our schedule because we know And then we, we can very quickly forget what has actually happened. Look at it. It says, um, as for this fellow, as for this guy, as for this Moses, who brought us out of Egypt. Now, wait a second. Who brought them out of Egypt? Who sent the plagues? Who parted the sea and made it dry immediately so that they could walk and then closed it and conquered their captors? Who did that? Was it Moses? No, it wasn't Moses. It was God. So, you know, and, and truly, as Christians, we can think that we can get to a place very, very quickly, I might add, because we're just weeks or maybe months away from the parting of the sea and the dry land, and just like that, they forget who even did it. You don't save yourself. You don't have to prove yourself to God. And in fact, you have nothing to prove anyway. You ain't no peach. Why did God choose you? I don't know. Why did he choose me? I have no idea. I got nothing either. 
So it's tremendous parallels to us. And here's Aaron. He says, verse 2, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and sons and daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol cast in the shape of a cast. Now we'll calf. We, we'll look at that in a moment in a little bit more deeply, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods who brought you up. Now we can look at that and say, how in the world could that happen? I mean, that's really, that's really kind of silly. This could be an, a, a place in the Bible where you could say, I'm not taking that literal because who is going to think that? This, you know, all this stuff. Now we put all our gold together and, and we make this calf, a golden calf, and, and then say in a believing way and even transition to the point where we're going to say, this is our God. I mean, that's not really any different than, than saying, oh, okay, this is God. This microphone stand is God. You, you, th you hear me say that, and you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've heard. Because it really is dumb. But that's what the Bible says they did. But in a few weeks, many of you, some of you, are going to get a statement in your mail from your 401k or your IRA or your investments. And your heart's going to sink. I know this because I'm in the investment business. Just preparing your heart. Because it may not be a golden calf, but the truth is my, my security isn't in this unseen thing. It's really in this tangible thing. It's my house. It's my job. It's my 401k. It's my spouse. It's my kids. You see, we set up these idols. That's what they're called. And how do you know? Well, I'll give you two places you can look. Sneak a peek at your calendar and your checkbook. It goes way beyond tithing. Let's just talk about idols for just a moment. It's super easy for them to sneak into our lives. I was driving yesterday, just kind of cold. I'm, I'm looking at the, the next several days. I'm not seeing a whole lot of uh, sunshine in my life or yours. I was driving by the park over by uh, Nina High School. I was <laughs> seeing all these parents. watching their kids run around on the soccer field. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that my kids don't play soccer. Because <laughs> you guys are fools out there. There are probably a ton of them out there now, shivering, ah, and drizzle. And, the, cool, and the, the, the scummy thing about that is it doesn't matter. It could be drizzling and raining, and they're still out there serving their idol, their children. So God's not doing what they think God should be doing in the time that God thinks that they should be doing it. They've created something that they think will, but won't. But, but there's a reason for that. It's because we all have this hole in our life. It sounds kind of cliche. If you've been in church a while, you've heard it. You have a God hole in your life and there's and only God which there is only one only he can truly fill it and yet we in our humanity I, I'm deeply convicted over the last weekend we try to fill it with anything and everything that we can accept God. 
and God is the only one that can truly fill it. That's the truth. And so we set up idols in our life, and we think, we hope will give us that fulfillment. It's things, work, advancement, promotion, status, relationships, titles. And those are just the acceptable ones on the list. Because we could go to chemicals. We could go to websites. We could go lots of other places in our society and find idols. And God knows this. We fill our lives with stuff that could never fill the void. And he knows that he's the only one that can fill it. And the truth is, he will not have any of it. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. Be careful what you say to God, lest he turn it on you. He knows he brought them out, but they said that Moses did. So, okay, give the people what they want. Just check out who's at 1600. Washington, D.C. Give the people what they want. How's it working out for the United States of America right now? Not so good. We have an Aaron. They had an Aaron. They have become corrupt. They have, been, they have quickly been turned away from what I commanded them and I have made and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it even and said, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, verse 9, the Lord said, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you, Moses, I'll, I'll, I'll use you to make that nation. Now, you might be tempted, if you're new to this, you might be tempted to say, yep, there you go, this, this is the angry God, here he is, close the book, walk away from it. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 15, Moses turned and he went down the mountain and he had the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, and they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. They were the work of God, the writing of God. Really amazing. Joshua is with him. You'll see him later in the story. He heard the noise of the people shouting, and he said, sounds like there's war going on. Spiritually speaking, there was, in fact, war going on. But Moses says that's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's singing. So the worship going on. Not all worship is pleasing to the ears of the Lord, is it? There's lots of stuff today done in his name that's very, very far from his heart. We need to recognize that. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing and his, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broking, breaking them into pieces, he took the calf of the people that they had made and he burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made them drink it. Now that's interesting, isn't it? You, you wonder, what's, what's up with that? That, too, is symbolic. Because idols do nothing in our lives but mess up the water. It dirties the water. And there's no nutrients. There's no health there. There's no 
nutrition, and there's no power either. And the symbol here is they, he made them consume it, but the body recognizes value and rejects what isn't of value and what ends up happening. It comes out the other end. And so it just proves the point. You know, all this stuff that you think really turns out to be gross. It turns out to be waste. It's wasted time. It's wasted energy. It's wasted emotion over things. And golden calves are all around us. Everywhere. Why? Verse 21, he said to Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? And Aaron's response is, don't be angry with me. You know how these people are prone to evil. They said to me, they told me to, to make gods who will go before us. And, and as for Moses... He's, he's the one that got us here, and we don't even know where he went. And so I said, well, give me all your jewelry, and they gave me all their gold. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Well, now, wait a second. Twice in the previous verses, it says that they actually made, they cast it. They even used tools to make it a calf. And, and here's Aaron saying, I don't have any idea what happened. It's these people. It's their fault. Don't be angry with me. It's not my fault. It's not my fault my kids aren't interested in the Lord. It's not my fault my family isn't in church. It's not my fault that my spiritual life isn't what it should be. It's not my fault. So whose fault is it? It's their fault. It's those people. It's these people. They're always complaining. They're never happy. And look who it is. It's they. We've seen they in the past, haven't we? Well, they say that things are going to be terrible. Well, they say that gas is going to $5. They say that we're in a recession. They say this time it's different. They, they, they. You have to be very, very careful who you let speak into your life. And they is not on the list. Because they is always wrong. So it's not Aaron's fault. It's their fault because really he's, all he's trying to do is make them happy. It's not his fault the idol was made. I just threw the jewelry and out came this calf. I just let my kids do whatever they want to do. I just let them watch whatever they want. Well, they, at least they asked me to get the app. I let them play whatever sport. In fact, we go from sport to sport to sport. We go from this sport, and then this is over, and then I go to this sport, and then this sport, and then this sport, and, and I let them do, and I don't want to push religion on them. I, would, I, would, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person. But, you know, they really need to just find God. They need to find God on their own. I would let them believe whatever they want because I really just want them to be happy. It's not my fault. This idol just popped out of nowhere. Sound familiar? So this is where we find the Israelites. At the end of chapter 32, this is the backstory to the big idea here today. Moses ultimately pleads for God to lift his hand of punishment. There is a plague that is sent, but ultimately God does lift his hand of judgment. But he does have their attention. 
And that's where I believe we can find it. That's certainly where I find myself today. Because the truth is, in our humanity, we do. I mean, we are flesh and blood. We do live, I mean, Paul even said it. The things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, I do again and again. I cannot get out of this body. And that's true. And so I believe that, that the Lord, he's released us from this captivity. But we're still walking our life out on this earth in our, in our humanity. We do. We're regressive by nature. We just, we fall back into the comfort. We fall back into the old self. And that's why Colossians says, keep taking off your old self and keep putting on your new self. That's, that's not at all different from what this is. God has given them an opportunity. He's given them eyes to see. And as a believer, you need, to, you need to mark those. They're like spiritual markers in your life where God puts his finger on something and he says, okay, now it's time to work on this. You did a good job here, but I'm not done with you yet. And, and so now you've 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 walked this path. Now we're going to walk to this path. And that's how we can go from glory to glory to glory. It's not because you're perfect. Spiritually speaking, yes, you are. That's a spiritual truth at salvation. But that, hey, now the work begins. Verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land, I promise on oath to Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. You see, we have a responsibility when the Lord gets our attention. We do have a responsibility. And, and the truth is that God does not forget his covenant. God will be true to his promise. And when God gets our attention, typically it's to, it's to implement some kind of change. It's to cut something else away. It's, you, you know, I need you to give this one to me now. Now it's time to work on this one, okay? And, and that's not condemnation. That's, that's conviction. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit to convict us so that we can be more and more like him because we are so far from him, all of us. But if you think your sin has disqualified his promise, you are wrong because you're, you don't have that much power. You're not powerful enough to disqualify the promises of God. And so many people live a life of defeat thinking, nah, I've just, I've, I lost it. I, I gave it up. I, I, if I hadn't have done this, then, th then I, I, I would be able to. And that's just not true. That, that, that's the lie of the devil. He wants to keep you in bondage when the truth is, no, 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 no. God's stronger than your sin. He's already overcome it. Now, let's continue to be overcomers more than conquerors. But then he says this, I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might just destroy you before you get there. God says he's going to send an angel. God has prepared the way. He's going to provide for them. He's going to defend them. He's going to fight for them. And you might look at that and say, hey, sweet. I get the promise. I get the land. We get to go. But that's not what they said. Look at verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words. What are the distressing words? He's not going. 
I'm not going with you. I'm going to send you there. I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to provide for you. But my presence, in other words, is not going with you. This, too, is symbolic. Notice they began to mourn and they removed or they took off or no one put on any ornaments. It's as if the Lord allowed them to see that all that they had was powerless. These things of life have no eternal value. Jesus, centuries later, would refer to them as the distractions of this world keep people from producing fruit. They're gifts from God. God provided them. But what good is the provision without the presence of God? There's big idea number one. I've got all this stuff, but you're not in my stuff. Nothing I have, nothing I've ever done is worth anything if you don't do it. If you're not with me, Lord, What I really need is just you. What I really need is you. Because the provision of God is empty without the presence of God along the way. And truly, if you have the presence of God, the provision just goes along with it. What good is it if you have all the stuff but you don't have the presence of God? What good is it, Jesus would say, if man inherits the entire world but forfeits his soul? And we can so easily become doers for God and realize that we've lost the being with God along the way. So what do you do when you get to that place? When God gives you eyes to see where you are and how you got there, then he also gives you an opportunity. Look at verse 7. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, and he called it the tent of meeting. Now, this isn't the tent of meeting that's in the law. That doesn't come for some chapters later, but that's a good point, too, because Moses made a choice to separate himself from the camp so that he could be with God. He created a place. He chose to create a place away from the distractions, away from the asks, away from the complaints, away from the pastor we shoulds, away from all of those things for one purpose so that he could be in the presence of God. 
And I believe God is constantly looking for those people. The Bible says his eyes range to and fro around the earth looking for people whose heart is fully committed to him. He's looking for people who are willing to separate themselves, to consecrate themselves, you might mean, from the people. And these are the people of God. Why? Because he's better than them? No, because he's desperate for him. He recognizes, you know what? I just need God. I need to set up a tent outside of the camp so that I can experience his presence because really that's what we all need. We need to experience his presence. I need to experience his presence. And I can't do it up here. And I can't do it out there unless I'm willing to set up a tent outside of the camp. Why? Because I think I'm better than you? No, because I desperately need to be more like him. And I can't be more like him when I'm in the camp. I have to go outside of the camp and and set up a tent for the primary purpose. Really, the only purpose is just so I can have a place where God's presence is welcome so that I can be changed. Because I need to be changed. And you need to be changed. And the Christian experience isn't about you staying where you are. Mark Driscoll puts it this way. The great thing about Christianity is everyone's welcome to be changed. (laughs) Everyone is welcome in the family of God. And he takes you right where you are. Praise God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You can't do any of that stuff. He takes you, Robert, right where you are, but the last thing he wants is for you to stay the same Robert that he found you five years ago. Do you want to be the same Robert? Not in the conversations you've had with me. I don't want to be the same Steve. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I've already condemned myself by my sin. All have fallen short of God's glory, and the cost of that is death. But I need his presence to be more like him, and this world will tell you, it's telling me and it's telling everyone else, that how we are is not only okay, but right. It's not only okay that you're that way, it's right that you're that way. That's a lie. And if you try to say something differently, and I mean, let's eyes wide open here. I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you. But I also have to tell you the truth because I love you. The last two years, the change in our society has been such a rapid pace If you don't see it, I'm telling you, your head is in the sand. And so today, perhaps only two years, three years ago, it it wasn't this way. But today, if I try to tell you, you know, something needs to change, not only might you disagree with me, I now hate you. That's where we are today. truth is, I don't like myself without God in my life. And the life change that we all need is found in God's presence. And I don't know what really needs to be transformed, but he does. And in his presence, he can put his finger on whatever he wants. So still, really, it's about him. It's not about me. But there's There's even more than that. 
The only way you can find whatever it is you are looking for and needing is in the presence of God. Do you need wisdom? You don't need man's wisdom. You need God's wisdom. That comes in the presence of God. Do you need direction? You don't need directions from me. You need directions from him. You know where you're going to find that? In the presence of God. Do you need understanding of what's going on around you and what you need to do about it? You don't need advice from me. You don't need advice from a counselor. You don't need man's solutions. You need God's solutions. Those come from one place, the presence of God. Do you need peace? God has peace for you. It's lifelong peace. It's found in the presence of God. Do you need freedom? It's found in the presence of God. Do you need forgiveness? It's found in the presence of God. Listen, church, we need to be in the presence of God. And you might say, well, yeah, but I need to talk to somebody about this. Or, you know, I need somebody who's gone through it so that, you know, they understand and I know they understand and I'm going to receive from them. No, what you really need, let me tell you, it's straight up. What you really need is the presence of God in your life. And what you're going to find in there, because God knows what you need and he knows what you want. And highly probable, there's somebody that you're surrounded with that will be able to walk this out. Because God's not brought us to this place to do this on our own. That too is a lie. It's not just between you and Jesus. It's all of us together. And, but you want the one that God has chosen for you to walk this out, to speak into your life. You don't need a bunch of they's, that's for sure. And when you're in the presence of God, he moves in a way. And when you've got that tent outside the camp, man, there's just something different. He's moving in a different way. And the first service we ever had at this church was our Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I have been so committed to that Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I pound away, and I pound away, and I pound away. And every Wednesday night, I look at this congregation and I say, wow, there's like two different congregations at Mill City Church. There's people that come on Sunday most of the time. And then there's people that really want to be in the presence of God. And they're here Sunday, and they come in Wednesday. And you know God moves in a different way on Wednesday night. Why? Because people are here just to be in the presence of God. And when God knows, hey, these are my people, and I'm sitting enthroned on their praises, and they're worshiping me, and they're crying out to me, guess what? God responds favorably to that. That doesn't take a rocket scientist. You do the same thing. When you know people want to be around you, want to be your friend, don't you find it easier to be their friend? You know what's crazy? Look at the second half of this verse. It says, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Now that's written kind of misleading, and I'll tell you why. Look at verse 8. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents. And they watched Moses. You see, anybody could go. But only Moses wanted to be with God. Every single one of you has the opportunity to carve out time to be in the presence of God outside of Sunday morning. Every one of you, any one of you, everyone can do it. But what's really sad is very few people will. There's a lot of people interested in spiritual things, but few actually go to the presence of God. And they'll stand at the door of their tent, 
And they watch somebody else's relationship with the Lord and they make a mistake thinking that, that it's theirs. Nobody can have, nobody can enter the presence of God for you. Only you can enter the presence of God. And then, they're watching that. They mistake it for their own experience and then they never are changed. They don't become more like Christ and they never go from glory to glory to glory. They do go from defeat to defeat to defeat. They never get the wisdom. They never get the healing. They never get the deliverance. And then they wonder why. And then they complain. But I'm telling you, God is no respecter of persons. Anyone can do this. Everyone can do this. And it's if, as if God is saying, you know, if you just get out of your own way sometimes and get in the tent, then we, get, we can do some business. God searches for you. God draws you to the sun. But there's something about personal responsibility, isn't there? That you have a responsibility to go to him. The door is open. But I'm telling you, if you stand at the door of your own tent, and you just watch. I mean, they're reverent. I mean, look at it. They rose. They stood. In the comfort zone. Or just watch it online. I'll, I'll, you know, hey, I'll go. I can be as close to God on the lake as I can, in the, in the deer stand as I, as I can. That's just BS. That's just not true. Unless you're cultivating that. People think that God only moves on certain people. You know the truth. You know what? That's actually true, and I'll tell you why. Because only certain people go into the presence of God. The exception to the rule are the people who God's moving in their life, and it's not because He thinks more of them, because He thinks awesome, the best thoughts of every single one of us. But it's some people have chosen to set up a tent, they've set up camp outside the camp. What happens in the presence, verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, but they didn't go. They stayed in the safe place. So sad. I tell you, that, that's just not, that's not who God's called me to be. And I will unashamedly continue. And I will repent before you when I have allowed things to accumulate in my life that push out the presence of God. But I have a responsibility at the same time to recognize that, to repent for it, and open that back up. I have a responsibility to you as a pastor of this church to create space, not to keep doing things, but so that we can be in the presence of God. Verse 11 says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As if one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. You know what spending time in the presence gets you? A deeper, closer relationship with God. Now it says here that, that 
the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. And, and, and we can read that and think, yeah, I'm not really sure what that means because just a few verses down it says that, that God says to Moses, you can't see my face. No one can see my face and live because our finite cannot comprehend the infinite. But it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And the concept here isn't necessarily the physical, but the literal. And by that I mean they weren't physically face to face, but there was a familiarity there. There was a closeness. There was a friendship. And it's not slapstick, joking around kind of stuff, no. Um, you see, the presence of God requires a reverence. There's a posture because he is still God. But God knew Moses, and God knows me, God knows you, but here's the difference. Moses knew God. There's a difference. And so the thought process here is that Moses and God talked to each other. Moses' prayer life wasn't just calling 911. God, get me out of this! Help me out. Get me out of this jam. He's like an ER doctor. Did he? Sure he did. Could he? Absolutely he could. And I'm quite certain that Moses did that. But that wasn't the only thing that their relationship was based on. It wasn't the only communication. And there's only one place you get that. It's in the presence of God. And anyone can go in there. And the cool thing is we live in the new covenant. We can literally go into the Holy of Holies. It, it, it's not like the old covenant where only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. No, we all get to through the sacrifice paid, the blood shed on the cross, the resurrection gives us rights to get into the Holy of Holies. We just have to choose to do it. So big idea number one is get in the presence of God. Do you have a tent outside the camp? Because you need one. Big idea number two is Joshua's story. Look at it. It says, his young aide Joshua did not leave the tent. The NLT puts it this way, he remained behind in the tent. The ESV says he would not depart. A synonym for remain is the word linger. To linger is to stay in a place longer than necessary because of a reluctance to leave. The point to see here is, and, and the entire reason, if you were here on Wednesday night, you got, a, you got a, a snippet of this, but I just felt in my heart that the Lord was saying, this deserves a Sunday morning platform. Because I can look across this church and I can see pockets of this happening already. It's, you know, it's like God's already doing this. We just need to go join him in this. Joshua lingered in the presence of God. He chose to remain. longer than what was usual or expected. He would not leave. He remained behind. He would not depart. That's the big idea. Could it be that the missing ingredients to our spiritual lives are that we don't cultivate the presence of God and we don't linger there? We live in such a fast-paced culture, and it's, and it's everywhere, right? Just Google it. Just Google it. I'll just Uber there. 
It wasn't even a word a few years ago. And now it's a verb. <laughs> Amazon Prime. I'll have it tomorrow or two days. If I don't have it in two days, I'm canceling it and I'm going to go get it on my own, right? Just give me the verse of the day. Let me tell you about the verse of the day. I, it only took me five minutes, less than five minutes. I got the verse of the day. Everything's fast-paced. Everything's now. Everything's, you know, give me the basics. Just give me what I need to know so I can move on with my life. But here's another point to that. We don't really have a problem lingering. It's where. Because we all linger somewhere. Just look at your phone. If you have an iPhone, it'll tell you where you have been lingering. I had knee replacement surgery a year and a half ago, and I started playing free set. <laughs> I have played 1,755 times. I've won 1,751 straight. So I've gotten really good at lingering on free set. I'm sub-sick. For some of you, it's Facebook. I don't, I log out. I don't get on Facebook maybe once every two, three weeks. I log out every time because otherwise there's a red number and your eyes are drawn to it like a magnet and, you're, and, you're, and you click on it and you're there for 20 minutes lingering. So it's really not a problem that we have lingering it's that we don't linger in the presence of God and we wonder why we live a spiritually defeated life or we don't have victory in our lives it's because we haven't been in the presence of God and we certainly haven't lingered there Joshua lingered One of the cool closing points to this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Because Joshua got his anointing and he got his appointment in the tent. You need to know what to do next. You need to be in the tent, in the presence of God, lingering, and he will tell you what to do. He will give you instructions on what to do. He will speak to you in a way that you will hear him, in a way that you're wired to. And he'll give you the plan that is already pre-purposed for you to do. You've been recreated in Christ to do good works. They've already been planned in advance. But if you don't have time in the presence of God, you're not going to know what they are. And so often you'll be doing things that he's not asked you to do. And you put in so much effort because the truth is when you're doing God's work, the effort really, it's not, it's his effort anyway. You're just there to pick up the pieces. The fruit of the spirit found in Galatians chapter five is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. What is the world looking for? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and desperately needs self-control. Let me tell you something. If you're just spending time in the presence, lingering in the presence of God, the fruit of his spirit will be so evident in your life. 
That's my commitment to you. To encourage, to cultivate the presence of God in an environment where we can just linger there. And it'll look different in different ways, and that's cool. We have different services, and we have different people. Everybody's different. But if you're a life group leader, I just want to encourage you right now. Now is the time to begin because I believe that there are life groups out there and God's already predestined that to be your tent outside of the camp. And you have an opportunity and you have responsibility. Start cultivating that. Start encouraging that. I was talking to a life group leader a few weeks ago. They started memorizing scriptures each week. Great idea. Mind blown. Memorize scripture. Wow. We get our lives so full. And listen, I got a full-time job. I get it. I do. I get it. But that doesn't excuse the time in the presence. We have to intentionally set that up. So Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak today. You speak to me. God, I thank you that you give me ears to hear and a heart to obey. I thank you for your conviction, for your Holy Spirit that is alive and active and it's sharp and it cuts so perfectly. And that's not to bring harm, but it's to bring fruit and joy. And so God, I just stand before you today receiving your word, receiving your direction for my life. And I pray for those that are here today that are digesting this. just would ask if you sense the Lord speaking to you today just put his finger on something maybe it's to cut something away maybe it's to lay something down maybe it's to add that time Maybe there's a conviction that you've, you've just not had your time with him that can cultivate the presence of God. Maybe you, you hear that and you, you've heard it, but you just have never experienced it and, and there's a burden on your heart. I need that. That, that makes sense to me. I, I'm, I'm going to set my course to establishing the presence of God in my home, the presence of God in my life, the presence of God. I've been lackadaisical in my life. There's a conviction. I, I need to linger in God's presence. I need to set aside these places I'm lingering, and I need to linger in the presence of God. If that's you, and the Lord has spoken to your heart today, in whatever way that is, I'm asking you to stand right now. Would you be willing to stand? There's a spiritual implication that comes when a physical step is taken. I'm going to take a step towards you, and God honors that. There's a humility, there's a boldness, and God responds to that. If that's you, just stand right now. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God, you see your people today. We are hungry for you. And that hunger breeds more hunger as we feed on your word, as we sit in your presence, as we make a conscious decision to, to make a move towards you. You rush in. And Lord, I pray that you would honor these steps. Just this simple thing of standing recognizing, acknowledging you are speaking to my heart 
Thank you, God. You speak today. You speak through your word. You speak through your presence. You speak through your people. Now, Lord, as, as we have taken this step towards you, would you rush in and meet us? Help us, Lord, establishing that tent outside the camp. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name.